Our topic today will be, uh, well, it's titled uh, Faith and Righteousness, and it's going to center around uh, Romans chapter 4 and the scripture as, and this, and this scripture of this reference uh, back to the Old Testament is, is referenced in Romans 4. It's also in James 2 and Galatians 3, the idea that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him uh, for righteousness. And so we had a, a lesson of several months back on the book of James, and this and this was uh, when we got to James 2, and it talks about Abraham believing God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. It was uh, a little bit of question about uh, those verses. And, of course, there's a lot of, I would say, speculation and theories made off of these uh, of, of these of this scripture in particular. And so we're not going to go delve too deeply into that, but we're going to look at a, a few uh, points in this in this uh, scripture, and so I'll go ahead and say some. I made this PowerPoint at home, but some of the 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 animations did not transfer between my computer at home into this uh, uh, into this computer. So some of these slides are going to be pretty pretty uh, full with information. So I hope that you can uh, sort of uh, deal with that. It's not going to be uh, uh, point by point. And going to them by point by point, all points will be on this slide. So it's going, like I said, it's going to be kind of full. So I hope you can deal with that. And so, like I said, there's a lot of uh, theories on this scripture, specifically the idea of, of, of Romans 4, this idea of imputing a righteousness of the righteousness of Christ imputed on a believer. And like I said, there's a lot of theories on that. We see this quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes. It says, it seems to me that at this time we need education in the obvious more than investigation of the obscure. And we apply it to biblical uh, ideas, to scripture. We just need to simply know what the word says, what it does not say, not to speculate, to make theories on the, on the, on the scripture and to make things say that they do not say. And we have this quote from the Orthodox Presbyterian Church about this idea of imputed uh, righteousness. It says that Christ's righteousness is reckoned or imputed to that person even though that person remains unrighteous, that means sinful, in disposition and conduct. So this idea of imputed righteousness, and, we, and, this, and it comes from this idea in Romans 4, is that basically saying that at the moment of faith, one receives the righteousness of Christ, and he can even remain sinful in disposition and conduct. He can still still be inclined towards sin. He has a sinful attitude, still, conduct, still uh, con, uh, conducts sinful things, and still be considered a righteousness. Now, we look at that, and I don't get that out of Romans 4, and I don't get that out of Galatians 3 uh, and, 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 and the other scriptures. So I still ask, what is the book, chapter, and verse? Do you get all of that in? And we look at that scripture, and we see throughout the Bible this idea of repentance being necessary for one to be in acceptable relationships towards God. And that idea, that doctrine, basically renders repentance meaningless. We see in Acts chapter 3 the idea of repentance being necessary, that you could be converted and your sins being blotted out. Well, that's really not necessary when we look at this idea of imputed righteousness or this doctrine. Uh, that is held by many in the denominational world. You simply don't have to turn from your own will, from turning uh, to uh, uh, working uh, these sinful uh, deeds and turning uh, to the will of God. It does that matter because as long as you still have faith, that means you are still in a you're still seen as righteous and in a right relationship with God. And not only with this idea, but we also see this is a kind of a foundation for the doctrine in the church known as continual cleansing, that as long as I still have faith that there is some sins that are continually cleansed uh, 
uh, by God, even without repentance, even without uh, confession. So this is, we'll sort of look at a few uh, ideas along with this idea of righteousness and, and the fact that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him uh, for a righteousness. And first of all, if we look at this idea of righteousness and we look at how the scripture says that one attain, obtains a righteousness and we look at this in the Old Testament, we see in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, that part of, I guess you would call it obtaining righteousness, that may not be the right word, but how one is seen as righteousness is in one aspect, it is by belief. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, uh, with Abraham, it says, And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him uh, for a righteousness. And we look in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, th this is after the, uh, uh, of the uh, I guess, the, the laying down of, the, of the, uh, the old law, of the old covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 25. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25. And speaking of uh, God's law, his commandments towards him. And we, we'll, we'll begin in verse 24. It says, And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he commanded us. So Moses says, what is it, what's, going, what's, what's the, in it for us if we observe all these commandments? Well, he says it will be righteousness uh, for us. We see also in, in Psalms chapter 15, in verse 2, Psalms chapter 15 and verse 2, uh, uh, speaking of the, of, uh, or asking the question of who's uh, going to dwell in, in, in God's, on God's holy uh, hill, if I can, if I can uh, get there, who's going to dwell in God's holy hill in Psalms 15 and verse 2. It says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill, who, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. So we see who's going to dwell in the holy hill, who's going to abide in the Lord's tabernacle. It's that person who walks uprightly and he works righteousness. That means he does righteousness. And also in Isaiah chapter 26, and verses 9 through 10. Isaiah chapter 26, verses 9 through 10. Isaiah 26, verses 9 through 10, it says, With my soul I have desired you in the night. Yes, my spirit within me I will seek you early, for when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness in the land of uprightness. He will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. So here we have that it is possible that one can learn righteousness. And so... We look at what the scriptures say about righteousness in the New Testament. And if you sort of look at that, and you look back at the Old Testament, there's a lot of similarities between the Old and New Testament about being a righteous. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and, and verse 6 in the uh, Sermon of the Mount. And we see that those that uh, want righteousness, well, they're going to be able to receive that. In Matthew 5 and verse 6, It says that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so here, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, those that want it, it says that they are going to be filled. In Matthew 6 and verse 33, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. How are all these things going to be added to you? By seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so we see also we want it, but we also 
uh, or to work righteousness. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 35, Peter said that those, every nation that fears him and works righteousness will be accepted by him, accepted uh, by God. We see in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 33 that by faith, all those uh, great heroes in the Old Testament, by faith, they worked righteousness. And we see in Romans chapter 4 and verse uh, 5 that this idea of faith being counted to one as righteousness. And we see in Romans chapter 6 and verse 16 of those being, it speaks of those being slaves to uh, obedience uh, leading to righteousness. Uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, it says, Do you not know that that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So you don't have, a, you really, in this life, you're going to be the slave to something. Either you're going to be a slave of sin or you're going to be a slave of obedience. And sin leads to death and obedience leads to righteousness. And in Romans 10 and verse 4, Romans 10 and verse 4, it says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So again, we can receive, ultimately we can only receive righteousness uh, through uh, Christ. And he is the righteousness to everyone who believes. And also we see 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, that the scriptures are given us in part for instruction in righteousness. Now, I just want to make the point, we see all these ideas of how do we attain righteousness? How do I become righteous? We see all those things. We see the Old Testament. We see the similarities between those things. Do we ignore any, any of these uh, things? Do we ignore any of these aspects about gaining righteousness in order to be uh, righteous? We have to think about that. It's sort of like the idea of salvation. We, we, have, we ask, is it faith alone, or do we, we look simply at what the Word has to say about salvation, and how do we gain an idea about what is required of me in order to be saved? And so we look at these ideas, look at these other scriptures in James 2 and Galatians chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6, this idea of being, uh, again, the scripture that references Abraham and him believing God. We see in James chapter 2 and verse 23, if you remember the context, uh, James is writing that that scripture was fulfilled when, when he did what? When he sacrificed or was, was about to sacrifice Isaac upon the altar by works. And we see in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him a full righteousness. That he's equating this idea of hearing of faith to when Abraham believed God and it was counted to him uh, for righteousness. And like I said, we can, we, can, we can make several points about these scriptures, but we see, we read the, the quote from the Presbyterian Church that says, as long, basically says, as long as one has faith, he is considered to be a righteous. That as long as he has faith alone, he is considered to be a righteous person. And I just want to ask the question, is this, does this word, does account to him for righteousness, to that phrase, does it mean that Abraham's faith alone, that just means the mental acknowledgement of that promise, mean that he was 100% righteous forever and always, that he, as long as he had faith, he could have sat down and he would have been considered righteous. And, we, and you think about that for a minute. And we look at Galatians chapter 3, and we see that, that this idea of that they, they were supplied the Spirit by how? By the hearing of faith. And so what does the hearing of faith look like? And, and what does it mean when somebody hears uh, by faith? And I think a great example is in Acts chapter 28, verse 27, uh, Paul is on his way to appeal to Caesar. He's speaking to, he gathers all the Jews together. He speaks to them. Some believe, some do not believe. 
It'll pick up in verse 27. It says, For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Now we see that some of those said that they were hard of hearing, that their eyes were closed. Now he's not saying that they physically were deaf or physically were blind. Simply saying that they did not, they heard those things, but they would not believe those things. And then we, we see in the last part of the verses, we look at this idea of, of seeing, truly seeing with their eyes and hearing with their ears. Now what is that? That's the hearing and believing of those things. That's the hearing of faith that we're seeing. And we see that when they hear with their ears and they understand with their hearts, what do they do? They turn so that I should heal them. And so what we ask the question is, what does the hearing of faith look like? Well, the hearing of faith starts, well, first of all, if you hear the word, and then what do you do? You turn, and then you are healed. That you turn from wickedness, turn from your wicked ways, you turn to God, and then what happens? You are healed. That's what the hearing of faith looks like. So again, we say that hearing of faith requires an action that requires turning so that you can be healed. And again, we see that they're turning from evil and turning uh, to, to good. We see in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13 and 14, I think this is, a, we look at this idea of what is righteousness. I think this is a great definition of what righteousness is in these few scriptures here. And this is, again, this is in a, this is in a uh, specific point that Peter is making. But he says, and who is he who will harm you if, we, if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. Now he's saying, he's asked the question, who's going to harm you if you become followers of what is good? But then he says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake. Now, what's he, now we see that he's talking about followers of good. Then he's talking about right, those that suffer for righteousness' sake in verse 14. And he's speaking of the same thing. That he's saying that if you are a follower of what is good, you are following righteousness, that you are working righteousness. And that's simply what you, we see in Acts chapter 28, that when you turn, when you start following that which is good, you start working righteousness. You start following a righteousness. And again, we look at uh, 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 the divine scripture of this idea of account, this definition of those things. We look at uh, the scripture. Uh, we look at what the scripture says about him being counted for righteousness. We see that definition here. It says to reckon or to take into account or metaphorically to put down to a person's account. And it make, uh, make the point, it says it's never rendered in a revised version by the verb to impute. In the following where the King James has that, the, the, the revised version uses the verb to reckon, which is far more suitable. So the script, and so we get in that, we see those things, and we see the definition of this word that is used for accounted means to take into account or to put down uh, to a person's account. And we think about that. You ask, why did I even bring that up in the middle of the, of the uh, presentation? Well, we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, and we see this as the same uh, Greek word that we see in Romans 4, Galatians chapter 3, is also used in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 19. And, and, and it says, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, you think about that, it says that God did not impute their trespasses to them, those that were reconciled uh, by Christ, that, they, that those sins were remitted, those sins were not put down into their account. Now, does the non-imputation of the trespasses in this verse mean that a Christian will never sin 
or be held accountable for sins. Does that mean that a Christian will never be held accountable for sins? And the answer is simply we see that it is not. And, and so we see going back to the very beginning of that, that faith being counted for righteousness, that you have that righteousness. It does not mean that there is nothing more expected of you. It does not mean that you can just sit down at that moment of faith. Just as we see that the non-imputation of the trespasser does not mean that that's over with. I'll, I'll never sin again or I will never be held accountable for my sins. We can look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 4 of the Christians that were fallen from grace. We see that Hebrews chapter 10 that it's possible for those that can count the blood of the covenant in which they were sanctified as a, as a common thing. And we see in Jude 5 the reference of the Israelites that they were saved, but then afterward destroyed. So it is very possible for a Christian, even though he becomes a Christian, even though he has faith that it is once again possible for a Christian to fall back into, fall into sin and to fall away from grace. And we look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 29, when, going back to the subject of righteousness. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 29 says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So John's making this point. He says that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So we see that condition there, that if I'm wanting to be uh, considered to be one of his, I want to be considered being born of him, I have to work righteousness. And, I, and it's all points back to knowing that God, that Christ is righteous, imitating him, that if I'm born of him, then I imitate him. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 7, it says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So again, he who practices righteousness is righteous. And so we look at those scriptures and we see those, we see those statements and if these things are true, then we look at that and we ask, what, what, what is the opposite? Is the opposite true? We say that it says that you, you know that everyone who practices unrighteousness is not born of him. We look at 1 John chapter 3, and verse 7. He who does not practice righteousness is not righteous. And we see that. So we can barely clearly see that, you know, if I'm practicing righteousness or unrighteousness or if I'm doing unrighteousness I'm not clearly a righteous I'm not born of him I'm not uh, uh, I'm not righteous and in a right relationship with God and that's clearly pointed out with these few uh, scriptures in in the book of in the book of first John we see in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24 again this idea of, of laying off that old man putting on the new man in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24 it says in that you put on a new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness now we see that's a command to put on that new man in true righteousness and holiness and and I want to make the point that God does not leave us alone on that on that point that it's not just by my sheer uh, will that I, that I immediately start working righteousness and, and working towards that true righteousness and holiness. We see that he gives us uh, several things in order to obtain those things. We see in Hebrews 5 and verse 13 says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, the writer here is in the middle of a rebuke of those that have, that have, uh, that have forgotten the first principles of the oracles of God. But I want to make the point that he calls the word the word of righteousness. And I want to make the point that if, that if I'm seeking to be righteous, I'm seeking to be truly righteous, then I look at the word, word of God. That is how I understand how to be righteous. That is how I understand to be holy. 
And also in Hebrews chapter 12, we have this idea of the chastening of the Lord, that these, any, these testings of my faith or, or these temptations that are, or that are in, a, in a sense, this idea of chastening of the Lord. And the writer is referencing our earthly fathers, and then he, re- and then he brings that point home to uh, our heavenly father. In verse 10 he says, For they, our earthly fathers, indeed, indeed for a few days chased us as seemed best to them, but he for a prophet that we may be partakers of his holiness. And again, this chastening is not just because uh, God is mean, wants to see us suffer. That is just like our other, our earthly fathers, that it is a, has a purpose to that. That he chastened us for our prophet, that we may be partakers of his holiness. So he does not leave us alone in those things. That he's not, of course, it's not an easy task, not a, this, not a, not a, a joyful uh, situation. But we see that he gives us the word in which we can see how to be righteous, and he chases us so that we can be what, so we can be partakers of his holiness. And again, in verse 14, we see those things that he does them for that are good, but it's also a command of the Lord as well. It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So again, this, this, this premium on righteousness, on holiness, in which one must, must pursue in order to be in a right relationship with God. And if I do not pursue uh, peace and holiness, I don't really have a hope of seeing the Lord. I, I really don't have a hope of entering his kingdom. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 and 25, again, speaking more about this idea of righteousness, the necessity of, of, of doing a righteousness, of living righteous lives. We see our example Christ in verse 21 says, For this to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So what did he do? He suffered for us, and then what? He left us an example that we should not, you can if you want to, you should follow his steps who committed no no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth but when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed for you were like sheep going astray but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls and so Peter saying simply again to imitate Christ that you you have died to those to the, died to sins and then you live for righteousness you live you imitate Christ you follow his footsteps and he gives that great example of verse 22 and 23 of this example when he was reviled he did not revile when he suffered he did not threaten but he committed himself to him who judges righteously he committed himself to God and we again are we called to live just or to strive to imitate him as best that we can to try our hardest to do those things and then verse 25 says, For you are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So you're going astray, you're doing your own things, but then you return to your shepherd and overseer of your souls. You return to those things, and then you start living according to his will. That you were astray, but now you have returned. You are now under his authority. You are now submitted uh, to him. So again, I hope you see that this idea of righteousness is something that we, it's not just by faith, it's something we have to live by, that we have to work on continuously. It is, it is not just simply in our head, but it's by our actions, and it's by our, you know, by our uh, daily life. 
And then we asked the question of, uh, we looked at righteousness and we, uh, my title was Faith and Righteousness and I figured I ought to look a little bit about faith, make a few points on uh, faith. We see uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we see these great examples of faith and we make, uh, make the point that the faith is always obedient, or true faith is always obedient to God's word that is following His will. And we see in verse 7, it says that by faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. And we see that how did, how did Noah do these things? He did those things by faith, and then he became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Now, I ask the question, when did Noah become an heir of righteousness? Was that before could he just said i believe that i'm going to be saved by this rain i believe that god's going to build this ark or did he see that god said look you're going to have to i'm going to destroy the planet or destroy the people and you're going to have to build this ark and then he did those things he worked on those things not simply by faith alone not simply just by my mental acknowledgement and then when did he do that after he did those things he became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith and so would he have been an heir of righteousness if he did not do those things? He would not have been. And we see in Hebrews 11, verse 33, I referenced that uh, at the beginning of the, script, uh, beginning of the lesson. We see that all these uh, great examples that through faith they subdued kingdoms, they worked righteousness, they obtained promises, and they stopped the mouths of lions. That through faith they did these things. That's the foundation, and then they build on that. The foundation we see in James chapter 2, having that foundation of faith, that's a good start, but just having that foundation, that faith alone does not do any good. We have to build on those things. We have to work on those things. We have to work this righteousness. We have to live according uh, to the Word of God. And we see in Acts chapter 10 and verse 35, that every nation who fears Him and works righteousness will be or is accepted by Him. That is not just fear him but it's fear him and works righteousness accepted by him and so we see Cornelius and all, all he did and the things that he've done and I would say that he did those things uh, by faith but still he was not in a saving relationship he, he had to know more fully how, what to do to be saved but we see Cornelius he has his faith and he's working righteousness and what does it cause him to be it causes him to be a, or eventually causes him to be accepted uh, by God so again, it starts through faith, but faith is, does not stop at faith. You have to continue on to working righteousness and to doing the things of God. And uh, we reference in the 9 o'clock uh, lesson in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 12, well, God tells, tells Moses to speak to the rock to bring forth water. Well, he, he hits it with his rod. And the Lord spoke to Moses in there and saying, Because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the, into the land which I have given them. Now, we may have just said Moses may have just, that was, that was just a little mistake. But God says, you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Your little bitty mess up that you may consider was actually you not believing me. God is accusing him of unbelief uh, towards him, and he did not hallow him in the, children, uh, in the eyes of the children of Israel. And so he, 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 God considers that when he disobeying him, disobeying his command, it is the same as him not believing in God. We see also in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 18 and 19, it says, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. 
and so representing the Israelites that they were that they were saved out of Egypt, but they disobeyed, they rebelled against God. And those who did they who were those that could not enter his rest, but the those who did not obey. Those that did not obey could not enter. And in verse 19 it says they could not enter in because of unbelief. And so I ask the question is how does God view me when I continually uh, disobey him? Do I does he consider me I, I have faith, I believe that he exists, I believe in that Christ died for my sins, but if I continually to, to disobey him, what does he consider me as? Does he consider me as a believer or unbeliever? Now I don't think he considers me as, as a believer. I think we can reference Numbers chapter twenty. And if I continually disobey him, he's going to say the same things to me as he did to, to, to Moses, that you did not believe me. You did not believe my word. And so, again, faith is not, is not separated from obedience, that they, are, that they are joined together, that if I have faith, then I'm going to obey. And if I do not obey, then I simply do not believe that God considers me to not believe in his word. And so in Acts chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, this is uh, Peter uh, speaking uh, to the Jews. He says, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise you up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. Now who's Moses speaking of? He's speaking of Jesus. That's what he was referencing. And in verse 23 he says, Then it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. That if anybody does not hear, they're going to be destroyed. And we reference back Galatians chapter 3, this idea of hearing of faith. Acts chapter 28, this true hearing, hearing with faith. And then turning and then following him. That's what he's speaking of. If you're going to hear his words, then that means, that implies that you're going to have to obey his word as well. And if you do not do those things, you're going to be utterly destroyed. And so those that will not hear his word, those that will not hear the word of Christ, word of the apostles, they're going to be eventually uh, be destroyed. And so that's the end of my lesson. I hope that you uh, learned something, maybe uh, just a little bit. Maybe, I, maybe you'll have even, even more questions than before uh, when I get done. But we see in Acts chapter 3 that he says, if you will not hear, if you will not hear the words of Christ, that you're going to be utterly destroyed, that you're eventually going to be uh, faced with judgment. And so if any of you today who have fallen away, that you have, that you have uh, disobeyed, maybe like we see in Moses in Numbers chapter 20, uh, we offer, you know, if you need the prayers of the saints or for whatever reason, uh, we offer this time of invitation. Or if you've not become a Christian, we see that there is that is that there is work to be done. It's not an easy decision, but we also see the uh, we see the uh, uh, benefits of those things. And if I can uh, uh, get back, maybe. But we see that, uh, that we see the benefits of that that we can receive their righteousness, which is by faith. We see in Romans uh, four, even at the very beginning. That this idea of righteousness, which is by faith, is faith, is obedience of him. That I can be, if I believe and obey his word, I can be forgiven of my sins. I can be considered righteous. But I also have an expectation of living a righteous life afterwards. So if any of you uh, need, need uh, anything from us, we offer this time of invitation now as we stand and as we sing. Will you come?